0: you for uh, what you do in our lives and um, how you redeem hard and broken things, even death. There's hope in Christ and so I thank you that even as we grieve, we grieve with hope. and uh, even though our marriages are often no different than anyone else's, we have the hope of you, Lord, that we have the Holy Spirit, that we have a community, that we have friends, that we have your power, we have your word, we have your wisdom. and you take foolish people like us and and you do wonderful things. So Father, Thank you for working in marriages. Thank you for giving hope where sometimes there isn't any. Thank you for being with us through difficult times. And Lord, I just thank you for uh, this community too that uh, I've been so blessed by over the years. We thank you so much. In Jesus' good name, amen. You guys are a great community. Um, I just don't know what my family would do without you. You know, it's been a rough year. I've shared that with you. Uh, this is second family member we're losing. Becky's dad passed away this year in March. And so, man, I just don't know what I'd do without you. And I, Becky and I have said many times, what, what do people do without a great church in their life? What do people do without the hope of Christ? So thank you. Thank you so much. We are <clears throat> in the last week of Jonah together, and we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, all the way through the end of chapter 4. And next either next week or in the next week or two here and I I have to like ask for that caveat just because not sure what my travel plans will be with the funeral and so forth but there's a good chance I won't be here next week but when we get back together we're going to be kicking off a new series called Ecclesia or Ecclesia depending on whether you studied Greek or not and the word Ecclesia is the word for church in the New Testament we're going to be looking at several different churches throughout the scripture uh, like the one in Acts like in Revelation revelation and looking at w- what the new testament says about the church from various churches in the scriptures first corinthians as well so we're going to be looking uh, this morning and closing up Jonah but with the heart uh, to see this that what my big takeaway for us as a community is this that those who offer grace of god the most to others are those who know that they need the grace of god the most i didn't say that very well let me re say that those who offer the grace of god to others the most are those who know they need the grace of God the most in their life. And that's what our friend Jonah did not know. So we look at to him as a horrible example, but in light of that, we see what we're called to do, to be a people that know and experience the grace of God for ourselves so that in turn, we can be channels of God's grace to other people. We start in chapter, or excuse me, verse 10 of the third chapter and then go to the end of the book. When God saw what they did, that's Nineveh, And how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said would come to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it better, it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat in it in the shade till he should see that what become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so it withered. You did not labor, nor did you make it grow or make it come into being in a night and perish in a night. And should I not have penny for Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Our outline this morning is this, we see an exceedingly angry man, and we see an exceedingly gracious and loving God. We see an exceedingly angry man, and we see an exceedingly loving, patient God. First, our exceedingly angry man, Jonah. The first thing I want us to see about his anger is this, true believers can be disappointed and even angry with God, and you need to know that. In fact, it takes a person of faith to actually be angry with God, doesn't it? If you think about it. I mean, to really get a good anger to the living God, the triune God of the Bible, you have to believe that God exists. And yet we often feel so guilty for feeling disappointed and angry at God. But throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see examples of really godly men and women who deal with deep emotion, love, of course, worship, and adoration of God. But at times, anger and disappointment, and that's what we see in Jonah. Have you been angry and disappointed with God? Could you be honest with somebody else about that reality if it were true of you? Do you feel the need to have to always put on a good face and say, no, I'm not. Oh, I could never be angry with God. How could I be angry with God? Well, Jonah, the prophet of God, was angry. He wasn't just angry. We see that he was exceedingly angry. Have you been angry and disappointed with God. Are you angry and disappointed with God? Can you admit it? Maybe your dreams have been crushed or never fulfilled in the way that you thought they would be. And the older we get, sometimes the more that's true. Your story, perhaps, has veered way too off course from the course you set, the map you had laid out, the direction in which you were heading. There's just been too many turns and bends in the road for you to not be angry at God. Maybe really difficult things have happened to you, really hard things, and you're angry, you're bitter, you're disappointed. But why is Jonah angry? It's funny, and we laugh at Jonah, but it's also really sad, but this is a very funny story in a way, but after Jonah went to Nineveh, and he preached a one-point sermon, if you remember, like usually Hellfire and Brimstone preachers, they've got two points, turn or burn, right? You have that option. But Jonah just said, burn, there was no turn. There was no offer of gracious. You're going to burn. In fact, God's going to overthrow your city in 40 days. He didn't say, if you repent, God will be gracious and turn from his anger. He just said, you will burn. And, and the good news for Jonah was that he wanted them to burn. He's the worst missionary in the history of mission. But to Jonah's dismay, the king of Assyria and all the inhabitants of Nineveh, what did they do? They agreed with God's assessment that they deserved judgment, and they put on sackcloth, and they put on ashes, and they said, perhaps this God will show mercy to us. Perhaps the Lord will turn from his anger, and they show genuine remorse. His greatest nightmare has come true, because Nineveh is experiencing a literal citywide revival. The entire city is repenting in, from their sin and turning to God by faith. Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, he relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And this is why Jonah is exceedingly angry. Jonah 4.1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Our emotions, friends, they're, they're a gift, believe it or not. Anger is not always wrong. Uh, Jesus was angry over things. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. So anger is not necessarily a sinful emotion. All of our emotions are a good gift. But when you have an an emotion and it's an exceeding emotion, it's an over emotion, it's it's an amplified emotion, you had better take stock of that emotion. If you're grieving and, and it's exceeding grief, if you're angry, it's exceeding. If, even if you're giddy with exceeding, like, at least stop and say, what's going on in my heart? and What's leading me to be so happy or so angry or so sad? What's going on? Take care about your emotions. But Jonah's sin was already bad, man. He lacked love for his neighbor. The whole Old Testament said The summary of the law is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and love your what? Your neighbors yourself. Jonah hated his neighbor, and Jonah wanted his neighbors to go to hell, basically, and he's furious because they're not going to. Instead, they get grace. (laughs) They get the gospel. Now, he is exceedingly angry about that. That's a terrifying thing. But not only that, he amplifies it. He turns it up. And I've been there, and I bet you have too. You're experiencing some emotion. You know you're about to go over the edge. You could stop, but you don't. You turn it up to 11. You crank it up. You amplify it, and make it louder and louder and louder. And that's exactly what he does. Paul Tripp, he's a well-known counselor and author and pastor, Ask this: Who would you want to be judged rather than forgiven? Have you ever thought of that about that before? I mean, I laugh at Jonah, and I think it's hilarious. He's his missionary; he's called to like go to this foreign nation and preach to them, but he hates their guts, and it's kind of funny. It's really sad. But the reality is, is there somebody in your life or whole groups of people that you literally would rather that they experience judgment and condemnation from God than have them truly, okay, turn... And receive forgiveness and you do know that in order to receive god's grace and forgiveness you have to humble yourself In repentance and faith so the person would have to own up I am a sinful person in need of what god has to offer And and still is there somebody in your heart that you would say i'd rather them not do that I'd rather that person not experience the grace of god. I would rather that person not be humbled I'd rather that person not like bow their knee before the living god and say please forgive me. I was wrong If your spouse or your ex has caused you years, even decades of pain, especially an ex, you might rather they burn (laughs) than turn, perhaps, even if they realize their error. You see, it often takes, and I know they talked about this at the marriage conference, those closest to us are usually the ones that can hurt us the most. Maybe your parents let you down. Maybe a child even has let you down with their rebellion and their anger and their disappointment, and maybe you'd say, I'd rather them get the full consequence than turn and receive God's grace. Jonah 4, verses 3 through 4, but it said this, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die, he says this three different times, and to live, and the Lord said, asking this question, and it's a question for you and me, do you do well to be angry? do you do well to be angry? Is it good for you to amplify your anger? Is it good for you to take that emotion of anger and then increase it, exceeding anger? Do you do well? (laughs) I will raise my hand. I will not ask you to raise your hand. Have you ever been exceedingly angry? (laughs) And you know it's not righteous indignation. You know it is like just straight up in your face rebellious anger. Yes, I do. And at times what I find in that, I, I get exceedingly angry or disappointed. And when I get there, it's a downhill spiral. You want to stop yourself, but there it gets to a place where you can't. It's like a, the, the snowball headed down the hill. And it's like you're just angry and you let yourself get more and more and more angry. And it's difficult to stop yourself, is it not? And when you get to that place, it's easy to pull away from everybody, to isolate and throw a pity party. And that's what I love to do when I'm in that place. I will maybe not literally remove myself, but I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to think about it. I just want to sit and stew in my anger and just throw a little pity party and get more and more angry and crank it up. This is what Jonah's doing. It says he goes east of the city, right, he walks away from everyone, and, and I kind of envision him going up on a little hill, I have no idea if this is the case, but like he goes up on a hill, and he sets up, it says, a booth, which is like a tent, so he takes some twigs, and it's a lame tent, by the way, I mean, this is not REI, okay, this is, this is like twigs and things he's gathered, and maybe some dried up dirt and and leaves like think bear grills level hut like and he's just chilling at the side of the city and you know what he's doing he's praying and thinking maybe god will not have mercy maybe he's joking and he will bring annihilation to the city like he did to sodom and gomorrah that's what he's hoping for sitting there exceedingly angry and this next part of Jonah is one of my favorite parts of the whole Bible because it is so funny because the Lord messes with Jonah. Kind of like I like to mess people. Like, I hate being this kind of emotion. I hate getting this way. But when you're around somebody you're really close to, do you ever mess with somebody when they're in an emotional, like, wreck and you're just like, you know, it's just like a little brother picking on them. Like, right? How you doing, angry boy? You know, like, you're just like, Ugh. So God causes a plant, a vine, to spring up overnight, and you can just imagine Jonah having this pity party. He's not eating. He's not drinking. He's just sitting there looking at the city. He's angry, and all of a sudden, this plant comes up, and it's big. It's huge, and like it might have been miraculous how quickly it grew, and it's huge, and it covers his little booth, this lame little tent thing, and it's providing him shade, and it says in the passage that he is exceedingly glad about the plant. He He's an emotional wreck. Like, maybe you are too. Maybe you're in a place like where your emotions are all over the map. Maybe you're just wired that way. This man is unstable, okay? He has exceeding <laughs> hatred and anger. He's so angry, he wants to die. And now he's exceedingly happy over what? A plant. The simplest of pleasures. A little bit, well, if you live in Phoenix, it could be exceeding. It could be wonderful. <laughs> he's now exceedingly glad for the plant. (laughs) And then what does the Lord do? He sends a worm. He appoints a worm, a particular worm, to go and eat the root of the plant so the plant withers and dies. And then when the sun comes up, the Lord appoints a wind to scorch his head. He's probably bald like most handsome men, and he's getting beat (laughs) down from the sun and The only thing that brings Jonah happiness in this entire story is a stupid plant that lasts a single day. And the takeaway for us all, guys, is this. It's pleasure. And you know, if I went around and asked you, like, hey, do you hate the people of Phoenix? I doubt very few of you would go, I hate them. I'd rather every one of my neighbors go to hell than to find God's grace. I don't think any of you would feel that way. That's Jonah. Jonah. But the thing I know we do, our emotions, our our loves, our affections get far more caught up in our pleasure, our plants, than it does the people of this great city. I know that for a fact. That the reality is that most, your average American Christian, uh, us included, we are often just, and it's not even because we want to be this way, but because of our life and our lifestyle and just our day-to-day busyness and all the things that we get caught up often more in our pleasure, if you're honest, than we do the people around us. Even if it's a simple pleasure, like a plant and like a shade, think about when you've been exceedingly angry in the last year, six months, last week. Chances might be good that it was about some pleasure being interrupted. Want to see people freak in my house? Turn the internet off and don't tell us you did it. <laughs> Jonah 4.9, and God says to Jonah again, he asks him this question, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And what is his response? Oh yeah. I'm angry enough to die. And it's It's justifiable. God's question for us, do you do well to be angry over the pleasures of this world? And by implication in this passage, in essence what he's saying, if you're going to be angry, be angry about the fact that this city is filled with people that don't know their right hand from their left. If you're gonna get all cranked up about something, according to Jonah, according to this book, if you're really gonna get upset, get upset over the fact that there are people, millions of people all around us who don't know their right hand from their left hand when it comes to their spiritual life. But thank God, the Lord is not like Jonah. We have an exceedingly angry man, but we have an exceedingly gracious God. One of the things you need to know about God, though, uh, from question four, the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says this, God is unchangeable in his being. That means there's no, there is no changing with the Lord. I'm thankful for that. He is unchangeable in what? His wisdom, it says, his power, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, and his truth. God is holy, and he doesn't change. God is a God who is holy and just, and you know what that means? God would have been just to judge Nineveh had they not turned. And by the way, if you look at the story, the reason why they turn is all the work of the Lord. He sends a prophet. He's working in their heart. He is the one bringing the revival. And so he is being gracious to them, but he would have been just to not be gracious to them. They would have simply gotten what they deserved. They were bloodthirsty, they were were evil people, and they would have deserved God's righteous anger, and often though, we look at that attribute of God and say, well, that's what he mainly is, but what I want you to see from the Old Testament, that is not the case. God is just, but God is not only just and holy, it says in our passage that he is abounding in steadfast love, and he's slow to anger. Back to verse 2, and Jonah says this hilarious thing. Oh Lord, isn't this what I said when I was back in my country? This is why I did not want to go to Nineveh, because I know that what? I know you're gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's covenantal love. I thought the covenant was for Israel. It was, but if you go back to Genesis 12 through 15, you see the whole covenant of grace to Israel was meant so that the nations would be blessed even people like Nineveh. I knew you're gracious, slow to anger, abounding in covenantal, steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. The triune God of the Bible isn't simply gracious. He is exceedingly gracious. Thank God. Some of you think of the Lord as exceedingly angry. Maybe you grew up with an exceedingly angry father or mother, and all you can conceive of is God being exceedingly angry, but he's not. He's slow to anger, it says. He turns down that part of his his being. Like, he could be, he would be just to do so, but he he de-amplifies that, but you know what he does amplify? What? His mercy, his graciousness, the steadfastness of his compassion. He has anger against sin and injustice, but he doesn't amplify his anger, he amplifies his grace. And without that, friends, none of us would stand. Jonah wanted comfort for himself and condemnation for Nineveh, but thanks be to God, the Lord had compassion for both of them. Because guess who we are in the story, by the way? Some of you, maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and so maybe you're not in that camp, but if you are a part of the church, and by, you know, anyone who loves God and is walking with Jesus, we're, we're Jonah in the story, <laughs> We are Jonah. We're we're the people of God. This is a critique of the people of God. Jonah wanted comfort for himself and condemnation for the outsider, but God has compassion for both. Friends, what about this great city that we live in? What about this great city? And, And we're surrounded by people and I find myself getting exceedingly angry at times just over daily interruptions, uh, my pleasure getting interrupted, or just plans getting frustrated. For a type A kind of control oriented person like myself, that, that's one of the things that I really struggle with getting angry over my plan getting eru- interrupted, my, my course, my will, right? This has been a crazy year for my family. I've shared both like, big things and small things. Like uh, We've had two major car wrecks uh, this year in our, in our family. One was actually truly major and could have been catastrophic. My oldest son was driving, my middle son, and another student home from a baseball game. And it was moments away. They got T-boned by another car that was driving recklessly and just drove right into our, my, my son's car. And just a second later, it would have hit my son right in the driver's side. And I am convinced he would not have survived he may have lived but he would have been maimed for life and and that guy that was driving he said he had insurance but he did not have insurance and so we got nothing out of it and i wasn't carrying collision on the car cuz it was an older car so we got nothing and then i had to go out and buy a new car and you know what i did not get angry about it even in the slightest i was able to just put it in context i could have lost my son who cares i will write this check all day in fact it, it, because the car was so safe, I went out and bought an identical car just like it, just the next day, without any anger. But fast forward, like a month or two later, i met one of the parking lots in the East Valley. I won't say where exactly, but like it's the, it is known for getting hit, and as I'm inching out of my space in my, my Honda Accord, which I love, okay, and, like, <laughs> and I bought it about a year ago, and, and my wife said to me, now I hope you take care of this car, because I'm known for having a really messy car, but this has been the one car that I have baby, like uh, the staff makes fun of me for how clean I've kept it. Like I wash it almost every week. I clean it, you know, it's, it's just been, it's been my baby. It's been like a pleasure, you know? And I'm backing up and all of a sudden this lady in her brand new Cadillac SUV just backs right into me, and, and she gets out, and she says, I'm so sorry, I, 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 and I said, in your mind, what happened, and she said, I backed right into you, I'm, I'm so sorry, here's my insurance card, etc, so I call her insurance company immediately, like, it's my baby's been hit, so I call, like, right away, like, and make sure that we're getting on track to get this thing fixed, she doesn't return the call for the claim for over a month, And I get obsessed about this. I begin to call and worry, and it turned out at the end of the day because they did not receive the claim because when she finally called, she said, no, he backed into me, totally changed the story, and I'm livid. And I got my car fixed, and you know how much it cost? $500, who cares? It's just 500 bucks. But for some reason, that got under my skin, and it's like all I could think about, and I got angry and angry. I was angry at her. I was angry at the situation, angry at the injustice of the world over the... 500 bucks, who cares? And I I have to say, in that moment, as I'm calling that insurance company over and over and over with my OCD, you know, and, and pestering them, why isn't she returning the call to make the claim? I cared far more about my comfort in getting that car fixed, because my baby had a little dent uh, in, in it, you know, it needed a whole new bumper, but far more concerned about that than the millions of people in this city who don't know their left hand from their right hand and it's not wrong to want to get your car fixed it's not wrong to like hey you know that's a small injustice perhaps but it's nothing it's nothing compared to the need that exists all around us in this great city Jonah 4 10 through 11 the Lord said you pity the plant You didn't create the plant, you did not water the plant, you did not cultivate the plant, and you've got more pity for this plant than you do this people that has 120,000 people in it, this city, and it's cattle. And I love how the Lord ends this whole book, it's with a question. Should I not have pity on this great city that has 120,000 people and many cattle? God cares. He cares about people. He cares about animals. He cares about the systems of a city. You know what that says to me, the cattle? He cares about your food. He cares about the city's shelter. He cares about the city's economy. He cares about what's happening in the city because it impacts people, and they don't know their right hand from their left hand. Should I not pity this amazing city? And if God were speaking to us, and he is, he would ask us, should I not have compassion for Phoenix with its four and a half million people who don't know their right hand from their left? Phoenix has grown by 1.3 million people since 2000, Metro Phoenix. 1.3 million people and it's grown over 400,000 people since 2010. That's a lot of people. The Barna Institute ranked Phoenix, the metro Phoenix area, 12th out of the 20th most unchurched and dechurched cities in the United States. 12th. That surprised me. According to them and their research, we are more unchurched than Los Angeles and Portland. That also surprised me. According to the Barn Institute, we are more unchurched, more dechurched than Los Angeles, California, and Portland, Oregon. And should we not care and have pity? and compassion for people who don't know their right hand from their left. And Phoenix, in Phoenix, I've, I've, since I've lived here, I call Phoenix America on, on crack, basically. It's America amplified. It's a picture of the United States in our individualism, in our, in our private life, in our exceedingly independent lifestyles. It's a picture and it's a window into our whole country's soul. And God has called us, church, to care and to have compassion, to have love, and it begins with us. The questions I have come out of this, because what's interesting about, you know, Jonah is the very same mercy that Jonah withheld from the city. That same mercy that Jonah was wanting to withhold from Nineveh was the exact same mercy that kept him alive. He deserved to die. He deserved for God to come judge him, but God extended him mercy time and time again. He received mercy when he should have received judgment. And friends, again, those who offer the grace of God to others the most are those who know they need the grace of God the most. And so friends, one of our main theme- themes at New Valley is this, to remind us of how much grace we have received so that we in turn become a people of grace to our city and those around us. In your life, are you offering more grace and love or more condemnation or indifference? I'm guessing you fall far more into the indifference category than you do the condemnation side. That's my guess. I know my church pretty well. I don't, I don't meet too many of you that are like filled with, I hate this city, I hate its people, and I want them to be cut off from the life God has for them. I've not met anyone like that. If you are, repent, okay? <laughs> or go somewhere else, like <laughs> because... That ain't us. But I do see a lot of indifference. I don't experience a lot of condemnation, but I do. I think we've all grown into indifference and a cold heart because we're busy. And our lives are filled with technology and pleasure and busyness and busyness, busyness, busyness. And it's very easy to become cold-hearted towards those around us, whether it's the literal neighbor next door to you or the four and a half million people that live around you indifference cold heart and the application for us church because that's not our heart we're not where jonah is we don't hate the city we love the city we started this church for this city and god is blessing this church with a new location and an opportunity to move and every time i go over there i just leave with a giddy sense of excitement of what god is going to do with you this great community and as God increases our love for one another and our love for this city, and I hear story after story of what God is doing in your lives through one another, I get so excited. When I have lunch with a young man, like I did this last week, who came up to me and said, I think I'm becoming a Christian for the first time. I grew up in the church, I walked away from God, and now I, am, I just feel like, I had to tell him, like, hey, I think you're already a Christian, you just don't even know it. It's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm ready. I'm like, I think you're ready. That's why you're meeting with me saying, you know, I believe in Jesus and his, you know. God's at work. People don't know their right hand from their left, but friends, he's put you in place, you, your church, your community, your small group, all of us together in this great city to testify to God's goodness and his grace. And it's those of us who keep refreshing ourselves with an experience of his grace the most who will give and extend grace the most to others our response this morning though from second corinthians 7:14 if we ever want to see even an inkling of a revival in phoenix if my people who are called by my name humble themselves if my people he doesn't point the finger at the people outside the church god says to israel if my people will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their sin, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal the land. You want city to, you want Phoenix to experience a move of God in his grace. We have to humble ourselves, and we have to repent of our indifference. Let's pray.